Brian Hill, and I'm on the Outlaw Podcast with the one and only Michael Outlaw. Drop, 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 drop. Exciting, very educational episode of the Outlaw Process. Um, we got Brian Hill on stage today. Brian Hill is an amazing drummer, does a lot of drum reviews, is an avid collector, um, knows tones, knows sounds. He restores super, super old drums. I'm talking about drums that was in the 1700s, 1800s, old, old drums. We're going to talk about sound, drum tones, with the sounds that drum makes, uh, some of the history of the technology. Welcome, everybody. I just want to thank you, everybody, for tuning in today's podcast. We've got a really special guest on the show. I've got Brian Hill on stage today. Brian is an amazing drummer, Does uh, has a super, super sensitive ear. Um, writes reviews for a, a bunch of uh, magazine, drum drum magazines, Modern Drummers, wrote mag- articles for that. Um, he's going to be on the show. We're going to talk drums. We're going to talk drum tones and sounds. Um, I want to welcome him to the show. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Michael. How's it going? Good, man. Good, man. Thanks for um, thanks for being on the show, brother. No worries. What else am I going to do in the last day of winter? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, man. So, Brian, man, tell me, man. Um, I, I, want the, uh, I want you to tell the audience, man, of kind of uh, tell them your story and tell them kind of um, what some of your background history has been with drums. Because I know you've wrote, you, you've done a lot of reviews, you've done a lot of articles for like Modern Drummer and a lot of different magazines. And, I, you know, so can you tell us about that some? Well, um, I really like drums and usually... What I say is basically my opinion and not facts, so don't write me any letters if you disagree with me. <laughs> but I've just always had drums. My older brother was a drummer. I got my first drum when I was like two years old and gravitated into the school band thing and then the drum and bugle corps thing with groups like the Reading Buccaneers and Crossman out of Philadelphia and uh, just got to work with Ludwig uh, because we were endorsing them with the R&D team and got a real interest in that and uh, my dad was a farmer and industrial art teacher, so uh, we learned to fix and build. He was basically my engineering department when I wanted to build something. and We got into building a lot of things, and I guess that background and just really digging drums uh, led me to want to review them. And, uh, I understand the engineering and the physics and the wood because of my dad and uh, playing for so many years. And it was just a natural thing for me to start doing, and I really like it. It's a lot of fun, and if I can help a small builder or whoever that's always great too yeah i've noticed like your sound knowing to be able to describe sounds like i think you definitely set the standard um to being able to describe sounds and being able to uh, relay that message across um you know like telling the dick because a lot of people when they hear like a warm drone they don't even know what that means you know um well, you know i think it's a lot because of my background with wood and i was a uh, a lot of, a lot, of, a lot of time in Nashville as a percussionist. And when I hear sound, I see it in colors, if that makes any sense, in mm. my head. It does. 
so I can kind of anticipate what should be coming and how to get to it. And I don't know, it's just kind of natural. And I kind of dig it. It's fun. Yeah, I got you. So I want to ask you a question. So how do you think that? Um, wood affects the different drum sounds of uh, drums, like the different types of wood. Do you think it matters? How, and if so, how do you think it uh, make, makes a difference? Well, let me start out by saying that when it comes to the sound a drum makes, everything matters. Everything. Yeah. Um, I find that wood, I mean, you're dealing with is it plywood? How are the plies running? What are the plies made of versus or metal, fiberglass, is there tension on the shell or not? Everything matters. And one of the nice things I like with wood that make it easy on, on, on dummies like me is it seems like the darker the wood, the warmer the sound, which makes it really correlate really easy. Uh, so when I'm looking for something really bright, I might be looking for a really uh, bright colored wood maybe or something dark like a mahogany or a walnut. Uh, and then there's you know, is the wood 1,600 years old, 400 years old? Is it version? Is it new? I mean, there's so many aspects that the physics of sound really plays a part of, of, of this and the engineering. So you can almost dial it in if you know what you're looking for and you know how to get there. <laughs> That's right, man. I've seen you messing around with some different wood combinations, and I'll, I'll, I'll expound on that a little bit. I never saw myself playing pine drums ever until I met you. And you've got this three, four hundred year old wood, virgin type poured wood that's been in a building drying nicely for a hundred years. And then you put it in a stave shell, which has no no uh, tension to raise the pitch to get a great fundamental. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed that that wood's very bright. And I've also seen you mix that with a maple wood and the balancing effect of the maple on this bright heartwood pine longleaf curly, I'll bet, uh, <laughs> it is, is very noticeable. Uh, I've got several of your drums here. In fact, I'm sitting on a couple right now that are made of that old wood that even look like you shot at them. They got bullets in them for some reason. <laughs> uh, but they're lively, great, lively drums with a very controlled sound. Um, you also were messing with this wood, fake wood stuff and doing it in, in plies and that's really exciting it's almost like a waterproof drum but it's, it's, it's real controlled, it's very bright and lively um, the one you sent me had a thinner ply which made it pretty, pretty lively I, I'd be interested to hear how a thicker ply or a thicker uh, segment of, of, of the stave uh, would affect the sound I, I would have to think it would dry it up a little bit and make it more controlled yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think so too. Um, so, I, you know, for the audience, tell them about that drum that we made, that, that one that we did with the Civil War bullet and everything like that. That was so special. And that was probably, what, six or seven years ago we did that? Yeah, it's been a while. In fact, I'm sitting in front of both of them. I got a beer sitting on the one. Um, <laughs> we took some, oh, what the drums are, they're both six inch depth, which I really like six inch depth drums. And they're 14 inch and a 10 inch. And one of the stipulations I had, if you remember, was I wanted to make sure that both drums came off the same board. Because if they came off the same board, I know they came out of the same tree. 
I wanted them that related, a 14 down to a 10. And these drums are perfect. Um, I get lots of compliments, but I wanted to do something a little different. And I, I, uh, I'm also an American history Civil War kind of guy. I collect a lot of those drums uh, going back to even the 1600s. And yes, I want to talk I more about that. Put, I had you put a spent Yankee and, and Rebel round into each of these drums, uh, make it look like the wood was in a building that was in the middle of a firefight. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that. Um, get a lot of questions on that. I try to make up bizarre stories as I go uh, as to why those bullets are there. <laughs> and then I can set up and tell them you put them there. <laughs> yes, but, man. Yeah, these are, these, they also have a trick three-step throw-off, which I really like, too. But, yeah, these drums really complement each other. They're bright. Uh, it's that 400-year-old uh, uh, long-lead curly pine that you pulled out of a building that was built before 1900. Yep. Brilliant idea uh, in sustainability and, and, and greenology, if you will. Uh, repurposing wood, I like that. There's not a few too many people doing that well i love it i love being able to utilize some something that could is possibly going to be thrown away and just like just give it another life it's, it's time for another life and what i also love too is that how you appreciate old drums when i say old drums now you are the king at old drums i mean oh my gosh you got to tell me us some of the stories and some of the history with some of the uh, drums that you're currently working on now, because you attend all these, sh- you tend to a lot of these drum shows, and you have some museum quality drums on in your booth. I mean, tell us, t- tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, being a his- natural historian and a drummer, I always wanted to buy, you know, some rope tension drums. I live halfway between Gettysburg, Antietam, and Valley Forge, if you will. So. Civil War is all around us and the Revolutionary War is all around us and it was just a natural thing for me um, and as far as King of Old Drums believe me I am not the King of Old Drums I know some people who got some seriously old drums and I'm like talking 1300s <laughs> um, those are old drums and uh, you'll find them in Europe too but uh, recently I was really fortunate enough that, to purchase a drum that is from the second half of the 1600s and it took me a couple of years to get it from this guy. He also owned one from the 1300s that came over on the boat from Europe, which was kind of cool. Um, it was a side drum, and side drums are like field drums, only they're really big. Like this one has an 18-inch head. It's uh, 22 inches or something like that. Uh, long, uh, big quarter-inch maple bent behemoth of a drum. No snares. Um, these drums were usually carried very high on the left side. And they are the drums that brought about the need for the traditional grip in the left hand. Mm. Uh, because there was no other way to play the left hand without inverting the stick a little bit to what we call the traditional grip. Um, so and that's kind of why we have that model. grip, right? That's kind of why it kind of uh, carried over to the drum kit, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was habit because we kept using the traditional grip. And the drum set kind of evolved along those routes into the jazz group and all that. And um, so on and so forth. But... Yeah, they had those drums because they couldn't afford bells. They were signal drums. You know, maybe an Indian attack, come to church, come to the town meeting, whatever, they beat it out, and then they got a bell and they put the drum away. So the drums got a lot smaller in the field drum range. So around the middle of the federal period, there was a lot of martial things going on, and uh, the bass drum had come to the colonies uh, via the Hessians during the Red War, 
So bass drums, being able to play a, a drum like a bass drum was really kind of hot for the drummers. I, I can't think that drummers, there were some drummers back then that were just as much hot shots as we have today, you and I and everybody else. So to pick a drum up and, and play it that way was kind of like a cool new thing. And you didn't want to use this drum for a field drum because the field drums are so much smaller and this is big and bulky. So they turned it into a, a bass drum and put this amazing federal period eagle design on it. One of the best I've ever seen. And I'd have to think that this was because of British aggression leading up to the War of 1812. Mm. So went through that whole period. And then around 1840, this being a probably a New England drum being made of maple, um, William Henry Harrison was running for president, and this drum um, became part of the Tippecanoe Band, which was established in 1840 up in Vermont, which is written on one of the heads. Wow. So I've taken the drum from somewhere in the 1600s up through 1840 for sure, <laughs> and then who knows what the service was after it, but I know they were taking care of it because of the repairs on the head that was painted. But the meat drum, um, it's a heavy drum, um, Gotta think in the 1600s, you're cutting plies. I mean, a quarter inch is probably as thin as they could go for a while. Now, this is the drum that you're currently working on right now. I actually have it finished. Oh. And I'll have it in Chicago. You're gonna have it in Chicago. I would love to put a picture of this on this podcast, so people can see that. Because did I send you a picture? Yes, you did. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you did send yeah. me some pictures. Now, how would they tighten it up? Like, I'm gonna just ask you a question. So they're out there. You know, how would they have to, if they want to make their drum a little bit uh, tighter? Well, you pull down on the, uh, the tugs, the leather tugs, and you're uh, increasing the tensioning of the drum roping, which sandwich effect on the heads. I gotcha. Okay. I see. Well, humidity is your other friend. Yeah. Or lack of it. <laughs> yes. Now, we're also going to have a pair of hand carved walnut sticks from the early colonial period to display with these sticks a really cool find oh wow wow hey so Brian I want you know you're, you're such a history buff man can you explain to me and to the audience um, if somebody wants to know some of the origin stories of why they put the snares on the bottom why we put snare beds on the bottom why we put snares on the bottom and some of the old oh type things history-wise goes. Can you can you elaborate on any of that? Well, yeah. Um, as, I, as I mentioned with this drum from the 1600s, it, it had their snares. I've had this thing totally apart, of course. Uh, I kind of do that. You know that, Michael. I tear them apart. <laughs> and uh, there, there was nothing there. Um, snares, and these drums were mostly signal drums, not so much for music, or communication devices for the military, militia, something like that. The reason they had to put snares on a drum was because snares increased the drum by an octave in the overall volume and projection. Um, the catalyst was gunpowder. Hmm. It just got that much noisier on a battlefield that they had to do something to make the drums louder, so they added snares. Wow. <laughs> And then, but they didn't even put snare beds at that point either, did they? What's that? They wasn't adding snare beds at that point either. They was just putting like wires across there, right? Uh, no, no. What they didn't have was uh, snare adjusters. They had snare beds. And they didn't have adjusters, but what they had was a snare butt. 
and they'd either run it between the, the two hoops, the counter and the flesh hoop, and over the head, or through the counter hoop across the head, and then tighten it up on the other side by pulling it if it was pinched. Hmm. And that was pretty crude, but that's how they did it. The first snare does go back to the 1300s, medieval, medieval Europe, uh, a table or had one or two snares across. It was a, a frame drum. The 1300s? The 1300s. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So the snares go back to that, but again, that was for the table or, um, and he used to play it with a fight, some kind of a fighty thing, and uh, um, it was a frame drum, handheld type of a thing. A little stick on it, so that was your first instance of whacking a drum with a snare with a stick. Wow, what kind of what really kind of intrigues me too is how you find these a lot of these old drums and kind of bring them back to life, right? How do you find these things? I, I, I look for them. Simple as that. Simple yeah. as that. And knowing what I'm looking at to help too, because there's very few people who do what I do. So the people selling them mostly are antiques dealers or something like that. Occasionally, a drum dealer will get them. But they, they generally don't know. They know they're a drum and they're old, and that's pretty much unless there's something that comes along with it that says, you know, some more detail. They generally don't know. I've been doing it long enough that I can kind of knock it down pretty close to when I think it was made. Yeah. So, you know, that long ago, you know, and having not that many tools to be able to use and make a drum perfectly round, how were these builders able to, you know, make a drum like that? I mean, how, how do you think they made it? Could you kind of get to look at Because some of them had nails in them, too. Oh, yeah, I think they made friend, friends with the blacksmith. Um, usually, usually in the early days, because, you know, there were no ladies or Ludwigs or any of that noise, not even a soysman or a horseman. Um, craftsmen generally made them. It could have been a carriage maker, a trunk maker, a barrel maker, somebody that would have some kind of knowledge of working with uh, leather and wood, and maybe a little metal. And um, you would steam, after you get your ply, you would steam it uh, nice and pliable. And I, I've seen it where they have a mold that they wrap it around that the blacksmith made, you know, a circle. And then everything was worked off of that. Uh, the nails were all hand cut, handmade. I've got some drums that even have wooden pegs where they don't even have nails. And then, of course, there's brass tacks that help. And then, and natural uh, animal glue also plays a, a, a real, uh, a real help in, in getting that shell and those hoops to do what they need to do. But tiny little nails, very tiny little nails. Because the glue back in those days, the glue wasn't as strong as it is today. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, you don't have your super glues, you know, you know, weld things, but animal glue, yeah, that's pretty durable stuff. I mean, I've got three hundred dollars, three hundred year old drum that's got glue in it and it ain't coming apart. Wow. That's... So that stuff works pretty good. The other thing, like when you're dealing with the heads, the leather has a natural glue that comes out when you soak it. So it helps when you tuck the head that it holds itself together as it hardens. So knowing these drums are that old, I mean, they're not per that you know they're not perfectly round. So does that you think that plays a toll in how it sounds too? Say it again, I'm sorry. Being so old, a lot of these drums, you know, aren't perfectly round. Being that old, you know, are they out of out of round, oval kind of? Well, I I re 
by the Zimmerman out of Philadelphia. It was a Philadelphia Eagle drum, Civil War. And all I got was a drum with uh, the, the two counter hoops in the shell. And this, this bugger was so, so difficult. It fought me. I, I was almost ready to get a hammer, which I would never do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> make this thing cooperate. I mean, we're talking, you know, several thousand dollar drum here. <laughs> I'm looking for a hammer. <laughs> it just fought it, you know, like, I think I sent you a picture of it. There was beer sitting next to it for a reason. <laughs> I mean, that son of a gun just fought. But, yeah, Warpage, um, they may not have made it round. Um, people often ask me about reinforcement rings. Um, reinforcement rings go back a long way. I think that one from the 1300s has them. Uh, I got one from the early 1700s that has. I got a bass drum uh, that was probably late 1700s that was unfinished because it warped all over the place. And there's counter hoop or uh, reinforcement rings inside this egg. Uh, but it's really neat because you can see where they stenciled out the tack pattern, started pre-drilling, and started the tack pattern. You can see where they just kind of gave up on the project. Um, bass drums were new then, and they came over and they were small. Um, so this is a nice example of a small bass drum. Yeah. Uh, Americans seem to make it big. Them and the Scots, they have to make the biggest bass drums. And, uh, between the two, the Lambeg and the American bass drums, probably the biggest drums, some of the biggest drums on the planet. So what size, what size drum typically did the soldiers go out into the battlefields? They would strap up the drum. So tell me about this. Let's back up just for a minute. Cause, I mean, I love talking to you, Brian, because you know so much about this history. So tell me. And a lot of people don't know either. So tell me, okay, you hear this drum sound. They're going into battle. They're going into war. Tell me about the drummer. Like, what is he doing? Why is he hitting on that drum? Okay, well, there's a couple different kind of drum things going on. Uh, one is your company drummer, which I think is the one you're alluding to, and the other is your band drummers. Now, because of the noise on the battlefield, you might have a company of men, uh, anywhere from 50 to 100 men, double lined up, uh, marching forward to, to shoot, and behind them are the line officers and the drummer. And what the line officer do is he would shout a command, and the drummer would drum the command. That way, it was a double, a double communication. Hopefully, everybody heard it. And, that, and that's what they were doing then. And um, you know, as we moved on in the, through the Civil War, where, geez, by 1863 they had mechanized killing down to an art. And a lot of the outfits stopped sending the drummer boys in because a lot of them were young, underage kids. And they didn't use the command thing. They just yelled louder because they had to. And the drummer boys would stay back and they'd be stretcher bearers. And, and, and I mean, wouldn't they get shot first? I mean, they're kind of making the noise, right? That, wouldn't they be the ones getting shot the first? They're in the back. Um, oh. The bands would be, you know, regiment, brigade, you know, army bands. Uh, most drummers were issued swords, believe it or not. Once we got, you know, past the Rev War, most of them wouldn't carry them. They weren't supposed to carry weapons. I, I have one drum and a period lithograph of the drummer down uh, pulling his pistol out and shooting a colonel uh, of the opposing Confederate forces down in the uh, Port Hudson, I believe. I have the whole, the whole thing's kind of documented where here we definitely did have the son of a preacher playing drums and shooting officers. So what I'm getting at is there really aren't a lot of rules where drummers and stuff are. And, and I don't mean that literally. I'm just saying 
it was it's a little loose and it depends on when you're talking in history yeah that made any sense whatsoever you know the, this this led the civil war especially american military they, they love the music um robert e lee is quoted many a times praising the bands and, and the musics um so there were a lot of drummers in the Civil War, fights and bands, and all that going on. Um, towns had started to have bands before the war, but after the war it got really prolific because you were allowed to take your drum and your, your bugle and all that stuff home with you. And so there were a lot of drums distributed that way. And most bands had three guys, a snare drummer, a bass drummer, and a cymbal drummer, or a cymbal player, a cymbal drummer. Um, <laughs> But as you see now, you know, trying to tighten things up, we started to try to do it with less people. Maybe you put the cymbal on top of the bass drum so you eliminated that guy, the bass drum's doing those jobs. Then some knucklehead invented this crazy thing called the pedal, and all of a sudden we got a trap set and we've eliminated the other guy. Now one guy can play everything. All that really came out of martial music. It just evolved. Yeah. With some of the, you know, where drum, I mean, like you said, that, that's very interesting knowing how old the actual snare drum is and why it came about for the war. Like you said, it needed to be louder. They can't just need, they need some snapping, they need some volume. Um, those snare wires made that, made it where it would just be very crisp and loud and compete with the gunshots. And like you said, that's, um, they would, so they would basically have different, um, notes that they would play in different like rhythms that they would play to indicate what the soldiers to do correct yeah yeah even when to get up when to go to bed and when to hit the, hit the latrine you so know? when you hear like a boom boom bow that meant like you know it's time to do this do something well there's that one thing called the long roll when you hear that you know something's up but there were actually a couple of schools in the union army during the civil war that they sent the drummers away to learn you know they had sometimes a hundred different beats they had to learn or more. Um, even though they were kids, they actually had a higher rank than an infantry private, and they got paid more. got to love that. Wow. But most of them had to learn it in camp. They had to learn it by road. They didn't get a chance to go to school. Um, so, I don't think it was an exact science a lot of the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I got gotcha. you. That's that's amazing stuff, man. That is some good stuff. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about um, wood tone. Um, so tell me about it, Brian. How important is wood tone, and do you think it's even important for drummers to even consider knowing the type of wood that their drum is made out of, or is it all just on the top of the surface, you know, drum heads and tensioning? Well, that's interesting. I mean, it is what it is. Whether you want to recognize it or not, just go on, hey, this is what sounds good to me. Yeah. You're going to get to the same end. Yeah. If you want to design your own drum because you're looking for certain sounds and tones, you might want to start hitting drums and noting what they're made of and how they're made. Um, but what you're ultimately after is what you're hearing in your head. Yeah. And I mean, I have I have some DW drums here, and I have some WFL three and Ludwig drums here. And when I ordered my WFL three drums, 
I didn't want them to have anything at all to do with my DW drum because why would I, you know, keep buying the same drums? And the DW's kit's more of a Steve Gadd type of a setup. And uh, with the WFL3s, I went with your more traditional things like 9x13 rack tom, 16x16 floor tom, uh, with that classical maple poplar maple uh, mold. And I don't know where I'm really going with that other than I knew what I wanted and I knew how to get there because I knew what was inside the box. Yeah. So if you want to do what I did, you need to know what's in the box. If you just want to go out and hit some drums and find the one that sounds best to you, there's nothing wrong with that. I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go walking through the drum shop or the drum shows just tapping drums. And, you know, funny thing happened when I passed by your stand, I couldn't get out of it. I kept tapping drums, and I think I walked away with one. <laughs> you did. <laughs> so there is no exact science here. <laughs> but there is, but there isn't. And, and, and I tell people all the time, especially when, you know, they're talking about these old rope drums, like, you know, back in the day, there are no rules because just like, I have a drill. The guy in the 1800s had a drill. I mean, they were even cutting their drums down to get them higher and crisper following the Civil War because that was the style of the music, was the crisper drums. And as you, you notice, the closer we got to the 20s, the shallower they got. Mm-hmm. But they started by cutting those old steel drums down. I think the other half of it was a lot of these guys were getting older and just couldn't carry them anymore. But... That's just a thought. <laughs> the drums get heavy, man, for sure. My drums, the older I get, it seems like the lighter my drums, the smaller they get, for some reason. Uh, dude, one, one time I, I, I did a 10-mile hike with Jim Smith, the Yankee drummer. By the way, that's who I got that old tough from. And I had an 1840s uh, small steel drum, didn't weigh much, and we walked for 10 miles. And I can tell you, that, that sucker got heavy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't imagine carrying an actual heavy drum and marching every day. Uh, another reason they got smaller for the Civil War is between the Red War and the Civil War, the pace of the march increased. So they were actually walking faster during the Civil War. Uh, so they needed smaller, lighter drums than what they were carrying back in the Red War. Right. Makes sense to me. So what kind of shell construction do you like the best? Oh, that just depends on for what. See, here's the thing. It depends on what I'm doing. If I want a, a snare drum for jazz playing, I'm going to go after a single ply steam bent shell. If I'm going to go for rock and roll, my personal preference is either if it's got to be plywood, I want some cross lamination, or maybe even, you know, purple heart at the core or something like that. Or I want it to be stayed or metal or fiberglass, something that has some thump because those drum shells don't have any exterior pressure raising the shell pitch. And the shell pitch is going to define how you tune that drum. So, it, again, tom-toms, what am I looking for? Kick drums? Would I want a state of construction kick drum? I'm not sure. I think I'd probably lean more toward a segmented kick drum if I was going to go that route. Or even plywood, I'd have to go, I'd insist on some cross or or short-run plies just to increase the low-end fundamental of the shell. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But then again, you know, like I said, it depends on what am I looking for. Um, if I do a 14-inch snare, 6-inch depth, and a 10-inch snare, 6-inch depth, I mean, how do I want those drums to relate? Maybe I want, you know, something maybe give me a lower fundamental on the 14, but not so much on the 10. I want that to crack. It, it depends on what I'm looking for. Uh, and, and that's the danger of, of kind of knowing what these different things do, because I guess I think that. <laughs> it can kind of mess you up a little bit. Like the more you know, it's like, oh my god, now what? Now I got to figure this out. Well, now I'm able to entertain myself with this a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> like the edges too, they play a huge role too, especially like on vintage drums. You know, where the drum heads has been resonating on those edges for years and years, and the edges have has worn flatter over the years of resonating. So it's definitely going to have a more of a um, more of a uh, a drier sound to it, you know, because there's more contact area with the drum head, right? Man, you just opened up a complete set of worms there. Um, <laughs> my God. Um, I, I'll tell you what made the bearing ed, edge important, and that was plastic heads. And the reason I say that is when you're running a uh, calfskin head, now, when I mount a calf skin head, when I make a head, it's wet when I put it on. Mm. And it is going to conform to every nook and cranny and imperfection of that bearing edge, if you will. It probably has a lot to do with the, uh, the, the reinforcement ring. A lot of times will help form that. So, it's real forgiving. But when you go with classic Mylar, man, that bearing edge is everything. And, and as we've learned with Evans, um, and finally figured it out that if you're going to have a plastic head, maybe the head ought to be level too. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. So your bearing edge and your head, uh, and I'll coin an Evans phrase here, they got to be level 360. Mm. Um, I remember George Lawrence for Not So Modern Drummer did a review on those Evans 360s, and when I read it, I was like, that makes perfect sense. I went out and bought a set of them, and I've been using them ever since. Yeah. Um, the idea that the drum head has a tone before you can put it on the drum, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You can just tap so on yeah, it and you hear it. Even, even if your, your, your counter hoop isn't true, how are you going to tune the drum? Mm-hmm. And then there's a the consideration there. Do you use like a 1.6, 2.3, or do you go with die cast? Yeah. They all do different things. I remember back in the Crossman days, back in... 1980 and 81, uh, I was a, a, a vibist back then, but the snare line, we were working with Alan Merch from Ludwig, and uh, we were trying to get more crank out of our drum, and I remember we would put those die cast hoops on the top, and they'd crank them down that the uh, the top of the, uh, the, uh, the counter hoop was below the bearing edge. We were cranking them that hard, but one of the things we realized to get the best sound was to put a regular... Uh, triple flange hoop on the bottom and the die cast on the top mm. now I think they've taken that idea way too far and current field snare drums sound like crap and they're also giving kids carpal tunnel so I think they ought to go back and try to duplicate the sound of the 70s or 80s uh, on field snares because they they were just they sounded more like instruments instead of tabletops they had some oak to them yeah. Uh, and yeah you can get real tight with 10 snare guys no problem yeah so, I'm like- there. So now it'll, it'll sound like you're hitting a cardboard box. It's just, yeah, it's too much. Oh, it's, a, it's just a 
crappy ass table cop. Yeah. I, I don't like it. And, and I see the the, the the bag and pipe drummers, you know, those guys are, um, they're doing it too. I just heard that the other day for St. Patty's Day. I was just like, I'm so much better, you know, 30 years ago before they, they, they had this table cop sound. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, I, I don't get it either. It's like a lot of people, they'll spend the money to get a really nice drum, and then they'll cover the sound up by putting super thick heads on it, die-cast hoops, and it's just like it, you know, it'll have that crack, but at the same time, you don't get none of that tone, none of the wood tone shine. You just hear head, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I, I like about your drums is when I hit them, it's not like wood. Um, I'm talking about the wood drums now. Yeah. Um, they just have a real authentic uh, sound. And again, the combinations of wood, um, whether it's like the one in front of me, which is just all pine stave, versus one that's 12 feet from me on another kit that's a combination of that wood and maple, those drums, I mean, they sound like, they have great common sound, but the distinction between the two is very audible. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they get different uses. Yeah. <clears throat> I know that, too. It's like, I remember when we was putting your drum together, we was very careful to, like you said, making all of the same wood, same edges, and just really try to get um, the wood to sound through. And, like, Evans, I'm a huge fan of Evans, too, because we've been using the Evans since day one, and they just always been good to us. And the drums, the head is very consistent, very consistent, very stable. Some of the diehards, I do have a lot of diehards that really won't remo. <clears throat> and that's perfectly fine and get kind of used to what you're used to you know and you know like a standard like a, like if i wanted a standard evans g1 sounds amazing sounds amazing oh, yeah. it has a little bit of overtones not too much um if i want to dry the overtones up i put an evans dry on if i wanted to kind of dampen those overtones but a lot of times on the stave or segmented type drums you're not going to hear a lot of the overtones and i want to ask you about that too on your take with um on single ply drums, like like just to say maple, um, a maple steam bent single ply versus a um, a stave or segmented style construction. I mean, what do you hear the difference between those two types? Well, there's three types. Um, I know I'm messing you up, Brian. Brian, you can handle these questions. You're like super smart on this. You're gonna hate my first answer. I'm not a fan of. Single-ply steam bed drums, jazz snare. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> um, I'm sure somebody out there has one I like, but I've known some pretty damn good builders out there. And it's like, well, that's jazz drumming. I don't do jazz. I mean, I, I'm a, I was a jazz percussionist, but as far as drum set, those guys are thinking on a level so much higher and different than so many other musical forms. These really good jazz drummers. I don't try to play jazz so I don't hear that sound now for rock and roll snare drums I love stave or metal drums because neither one has any kind of tension and I get thumped out of the core of the drum which is projection and it's neat and it competes with loud noises really well and even even like when I go back and I play drums from the 20s, whether it's a Ludwig, Black Beauty, or a Lady Elite, or something like that, those drums were amazing. Uh, I, I have a, a George Lawrence Stone wood, wood counter hoops and everything, and these drums sound amazing. They had the snare drum down in the 1920s, 
we've just continued to screw with it and tweak it and make it better or worse, depending on what's going on. But I'm pretty sure they had it drummed down at the point. All aspects. They were really on their game. Yeah. I definitely agree with that, too. We're looking at maybe making some metal drums here very, very soon because I just I love the way metal drums sound um, as well. Um, <clears throat> so, what is your favorite? What is your personal favorite um, snare configuration? Like right now, like what you got on your kit right now? Oh, well, let me, let me just go back and address one more thing. You said you're looking at metal snares construction. Yeah. Yep. I encourage you to go get the drawings of the original Ludwig Black Beauties. Because they're doing some different things with the bending of the metal, if that's something you want to get into, that gives them that great acoustic property and makes everybody want one. Mm. It's not the look, it's the sound. Yeah. And there's a little thing they do that they bend up near the, up at the, uh, the bearing edge, creates a, like a triangular cavity that runs the length top and bottom that a lot of people think have a lot to do with that special sound. So uh, what they were doing, those Ludwig boys, I'd take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm definitely looking into that because I mean, Ludwig Beauty, Black Beauty, like you said, that's the industry standard and that's an amazing sounding snare drum. It's on a lot of records. I think it was on Sound, it was on sound Gardens, wasn't it? Um, Spoon Man. Well, I know Bonnie Carlos used a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And if you get a hold of Rob Cook, he probably has the schematic engineering drawings, the patents and everything. <laughs> oh, I love Rob Cook. <laughs> <laughs> He's a that guy guy. has everything. He does. He's super cool, man. He's super cool. Um, oh, God, I love him, man. He gave me my start. Uh, I'm his curator uh, for the Chicago show that I handle the drum museum for him every year. And uh, sometimes we make it big, sometimes we pile it in. I know this year we're doing a trust tension display uh, alongside the ancient drums, uh, which a lot of people don't know too much about. But back to your question of what's my configuration, what am I sitting in front of right now? Um, I have two outlaw rebel drums rebel snare drums in front of me and they are 6 inch shells 10 and 14 inch long lead curly pine stave construction with bullets and a 3 step trick snare adjuster Yes. and that's pretty much it I don't have any dampening on these drums or muffling at all they are wide open and they are fairly controlled drums on the uh, over undertone um, thing, so yeah, they're they're up there with uh, my first call snares. Um, not that I'm doing a sales pitch for you or anything, but you're asking what I'm sitting in front of, and I got another one on another kid across the room, which is that maple curly pine. <laughs> hey man, uh, I love these plugs, man. This is definitely not staged or anything like that. This is like raw, raw as we can get, man. I'm not, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's not about outlaw drums for sure on this podcast. I want to just highlight drums and the love of drums and people that love drums. That's well, kind of the goal. I got I got some bad news for you. If I ever do buy a full kit from you, it's coming from the same tree. <laughs> so you better get a big tree, mister. <laughs> I can get a big tree, brother, for sure. <laughs> for sure, man. It does make a difference. You know, the idea that you just grab a couple of drums from here, there, and everywhere and put together and call it a musical instrument is just a fallacy to me. Yeah. When I think of percussive instruments that are cohesive, I think of something like a marimba. Okay? Yeah. So, 
if I'm going to put a drum set together, shouldn't all of my tom-toms have something to do with each other? Size, pitches, um, the kick drum, shouldn't it be relative? Um, I've played all kinds of drums where it just seems like the dude at the factory just grabbed whatever size was available, never looked at anything, and threw them together. I like, I like when a, a drum set is an actual cohesive instrument. Same thing with the plates. Um, I, I don't have drum sets with six different kinds of cymbals. Um, I'll probably have a mixture of either a Zildjian or a Peisty, and then I might throw some Wuhans in there on the side or something like that. But I try to keep that fairly cohesive, too, and, and the sizes and thicknesses should be relative, too. And that's kind of what you're going for, but I know there's a lot of abstract ideas out there, and there's nothing wrong with them either. That's just for me. I'm very organized uh, when I want to be, but then I also have a side of me that loves the idea of organized sound. Yeah. And that's, I, I pulled that a lot with things like when I did percussion, I would be dipping gongs into uh, baths of water with a microphone close and, you know, doing a, a Doppler effect that way or, you know, lighting shit on fire, doing stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like you're pulling things together just to the fact that you can basically be able to get your sound more dialed in easier and have to struggle with it less. It's the goal, right? The ultimate goal is to be able to sit behind the kit and have them things just sing and be in complete harmonious, harmonious and have them just sound amazing and really stay motivated and stay pumped. I feel like once you get the sound, the creativity comes, and then the music starts flowing, and then before you know it, you got you a badass song. Yeah, and, and you can't discount drum maintenance, which I see a real neglect out there a lot of times. Um, you know, I I, so I I used to be a drum tech also when I lived in Nashville, so I, I, it got me into a lot of places that I might not have gotten, and I got to see a lot. And these guys that have drums that are having arguments with themselves, let alone each other. Uh, when I hear a, a guitar player or a bass player giving me crap for tuning a drum, I always look at him. I say, first of all, I don't have a tuner, and I've got 20 tuning pegs on this snare drum, and they all got to be in agreement with each other. And oh, by the way, every other drum does too, and then I got to make them agree with each other. So guitar players and bass players should never get on a drummer for tuning a drum. <laughs> <laughs> tuning drums is not easy. No. Um, it's hard, and yeah. I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still working at it. I know one thing, starting off with the right heads is very important. Man, have you ever tried to put a thicker head on the bottom of a snare and try to get it to sound? Like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. I've tried that a couple times, just messing around and put a, um, a thicker, like a G1 or something on the bottom of a snare and try to get that sound out of it. You can't get it, man. You can't get that projection. you got to have the right combination heads to make your sound good. I, I, a lot of people kind of... They'll have this head left over and that head left over and not want to get new heads. When all in all, what they'll do, it just, it just hurts the sound, you know? Those thinner heads for the bottom snare are there for a reason, you know, for making that snare as sensitive as it possibly can be and not covering up some of that stuff, you know? Well, it's like not changing guitar strings. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't put used guitar strings on your guitar that you're going to go play. But a lot of people use heads up until there's a hole in them. There'll be like a big hole in them. be heating them up with a hair dryer, well, trying to get them fluffed back out. <laughs> you know, all this comes down to is what kind of sound do you want. Yeah. What kind of sound do you want? the best sound I can have at all given times. Yeah. I'm 
yeah. needle about that sound stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was building a drum kit a few years back, you know, uh, for for a drummer that wanted a flat sounding drum. Like they want the drums to sound flat, like blah 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 blah. And yeah, I was just like, okay, let's do it. But at the same time, I'm like, to each his own, right? Um, I, you know, it, it comes down to what do you want to hear? What are you, what are you projecting? And, you know, education is a real good thing. And if you don't want to educate yourself at your craft and maximize and be the master of your craft, then you'll be what you are. Uh, I mean, a lot of times at lunch at work, I'll be in the office and I'll, I'll turn on YouTube and, and, and I'll just try to find something to learn. You know? Yeah. I'll pull Steve Gadd or some other crazy thing and just try to learn what they're doing and why they're doing it. You know, what makes Bonham the great drummer he is, you know? So I always try to learn even at work when I have a few minutes. But I, I guess I play drums because I love to. Yeah. You know, I don't even care if I'm playing with somebody else. I'll come down here in my barn studio and spend an hour shed and just for fun. Yeah. That's what it's about, man. It's just when, you know, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's exactly what it's about. It's just having that love and having that passion and that drive. And not for that few minutes that you're playing, man, you're there. You're, you're focused there. You're not nowhere else. And that's an amazing few minutes is when you're in that pocket and you're in that groove and nobody can pull you out of it. And if your stuff's sounding amazing and you feel it, the creativity is going to flow. You're going to want to practice more. You know, you're sounding better. Oh, my gosh. It just it just adds up, you know, and. Yeah, it's, it's 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 crazy. Drums are amazing, man. They're they're so therapeutic to people too. Like I've I've heard from people they just you know that's how they release every day. You know they when they sit behind their drums they literally go into a realm of like medica, uh, uh, meditation. You know it's kind of like that. They could close everything else off and just really focus on their drums and their playing and. Um, making music like you said there's something about it it's something about it and that's like it brings back yeah. to like just what you said you know that's what ushered in the confidence to bring you know to give these drummers when they were in battle the drummers would play that they would play those backbeats you know to push forward the guys you know and to give them the confidence to go for you know drums is a it's a lot it's, it's a lot i think um, Brian Hill, man, thank you so much, brother, for being on this podcast show, man. Oh, my, my pleasure. I'm humbled that you actually wanted to hear what I had to say. Brother, you, you are so knowledgeable behind the drums, man. Know so much about drums, history of the drums. You know, a lot of people don't know this, what you was talking about today. And right on. Be good. All right, man. See you, Brian. All right. Bye. Bye. Just want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. I want to say a good shout out to my brother, Brian Hill, for doing this episode for us. Uh, just remember, if you want to check out Brian, some of Brian's drum, he's going to be at the Chicago Drum Exchange this year. And he does a lot of drum shows. Um, super, super nice guy. You need to go check out his booth. Uh, very educated. Uh, knows, knows his drums. Knows the history about his drums. And a lot of these drums are super, super old. Talk to you later. God bless. Till next time. Also, don't forget about the contest that we, we are having with Original Music Contest, basically where you submit your music, uh, we review it, and you have the chance for your, your band winning an Outlaw Drum Snare. Um, this is a chance for you to get your music heard 
and just kind of give you the confidence and the push that a lot of musicians need to just put their stuff out there and let people hear it. Quit being so scared. Just let them hear your music. Once you upload it to me, I'm going to have it on a SoundCloud playlist where everybody can um, comment, view it, listen to it, like it, share it, however. And we're going to judge. It's going to be super fun. I'm excited about it. I don't want to offend any of my drummers in my band. So I'm going to be very careful with this. Yeah, I'm going to tread lightly. But Hey, what's up, everybody? Today's podcast, we got Brian. So Brian cool. is a uh, really cool friend of mine, and he's going to be on the podcast show. And it's just kind of fun because we're going to get a bass player's inside view of what it's like um, to find that, to really peel back some layers to find that perfect drummer. Um, we're gonna talk drum mixes, we're gonna talk sound, we're gonna talk all kinds of stuff about drums. In this episode right here, coming up with Brian Trousseau. Just wanna welcome everybody to the Outlaw Process podcast show. And today I got some really uh, very, very special dear friends of mine on, on the show today, um, Brian and Ben. How's it going, guys? How's it going? <laughs> good, good. I appreciate y'all being on the show, and you know, music is so important, right? You know, when anytime that you bring musicians together, it really just something special happens, don't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely something special always happens. You know, it, it's part of it, my life, so yeah. I just just throw that out there, you know. Yeah. yeah. And lately, I've been doing all the sound for his bands and stuff, so it's been good. So tell me about y'all's music story. Like, what's going on, like, musically? What's happening? Well, I, I have a couple different projects going. And, uh, you know, i got Commerce Child with uh, Matthew Williams and uh, got Brad Gill Gilliard in it and Richard Day. We're, we just play all over the place. we got a few originals out. And uh, we, we stay really busy. I mean... <laughs> Hell, last weekend, you know, are we allowed to cuss on your show? Hey, real life. Real, <laughs> real life? Real life? Uh, yes. Because that just might come out, because sometimes we get a little colorful, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and then he's also got 95 with... Uh, oh, 95, I love those yeah. guys. They play a lot of, like, uh, 90s rock yeah, alternative. Yeah, 90s party music, yeah. and... Uh, you know, he Greg Greg's a the head one of the head nurses up at Phoebe, and, yeah. and he's got a lot of friends, and it's always fun getting with those guys. It's a it's a party. You ready, you ready to come to bring yeah. it, huh? Yeah, yeah. And Ben, oh my God, Ben, my son, he he's been doing sound for both bands, and yeah. he's just he's just tearing it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I literally started just after I got out of the military, and. Uh, when I first started using like the QSC board that we got, it took me a while to learn how to adjust everything and you know get what I wanted out of it. But right now, I have learned to got to the point where everything's on the fly. I can get everyone sound checked on stage, run out in the crowd, and have it set by the first song. Wow, That's, that takes a lot. These daggone yeah. dogs, man. Come on, Matt. You want you want to know what's going on, bud? You gotta know. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I've been 
So I've been around his music since I've been super little. I mean, I remember the first band I can remember is Bad Influence. And then, I mean, I remember a band he had named Asrock, which was a really cool band um, and stuff like that. So I've always been around his music. But this is the first time that I've been involved yeah. in his music, yeah. so it's a it's a really have cool a hand in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've been playing hearing music I mean, a long time. Brian, how many mm. how much experience do you got playing? How long did you start? I if I told you, then people would know how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, Point but it's been a long time. So, yeah, man. And we'll just say it's plus twenty years. Wow. So. Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty much a journeyman. I I love doing things like coming by your place and yeah. jamming with you. Yeah, we jam all the time, yeah. man. We come in there and we'll go into a jam and say, "Brian, I got this drum I want to try out." Yeah, come over, man. We'll yeah. we'll hit it off and yeah, just get into a jam session. Mm. I love it, man. That's what music right. does, man. It brings people together. Yeah, yeah for sure. nice thing is, you know, he's always got a bass on hand, ready yeah. to roll. Ready. Know? <laughs> is it a five string no he's, he's missing that part of it but that's okay you know but, just a little jam get together so yeah. yeah so listen I got a question so you deal with a lot of different types of drummers all the experience that you've got playing in different bands you've run into a lot you meet a lot of different types of drummers and different drummers don't you right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for a drummer standpoint, what do you look for? Like, what's the perfect drummer? What's what is that drummer to being like? I, yes. So, I don't want to offend any of my drummers in my band. <laughs> so I'm gonna be very careful <laughs> when, <laughs> with this. Yeah, I'm gonna tread lightly. But <laughs> I really sports. like a consistent drummer, you know. So if you know, say we play one song a certain way and the breaks in the song. I like somebody that's mentally just can really, you know, do that again. You know, remember that part in that song and do that again. Because that's what I do. I like to do it again, you know. If it's, if you play a song a certain way, you know, them breaks and the parts to end in and everything like that. If we're, me and the drummer are in there doing the same thing, it it's really, really good. And, you know. Uh, I don't like a fancy drummer. I like somebody that's more in the pocket. More in the pocket. You know, so. You hear that a lot. Cause, yeah. I mean, a lot of times drummers are working on speed. They're working on feel. How fast can kind of do three rolls? Yeah. In that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm a fan of Neil Peart, but I don't want to see a drummer come in and set up five toms and they're two like, floor toms. and looking at you funny. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather him come in and play with two toms, a rack tom and a floor tom and a snare. Yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, that's, you know, then I'm, I feel a little safer. I'm like, okay, he can probably get that roll on around and bring it right back in time, you know. So, but, uh, you know, and most drummers I play with are like that now, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I got a drummer in 95. He plays with electronic drums. I didn't like it at first, but it's okay. Yeah, you know, it's when, right. when I first heard about the electronic, drums, yeah, yeah, when, when, yeah, what is happening here? Yeah, yeah, well, like, they, 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 to me, you know, it, it's not the same. But yeah, 
You know, the, the it takes away for, to, from me from stage presence. I really like, prefer acoustic drums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's like the acoustic drums. It just sets the stage. Yeah. It's well, like a center point of that stage. Yeah. I mean, How do you can record? You know, it's the feel, the feel of it. You know, you, uh, just it really baffles me with electronic drums. It's you know, really like quiet on the stage. It, it's yeah. When you it, hit, it's going to be the same. Yeah. Extent, you know, well, you have yeah. to. You're. They really have to have an expensive set of drums because it can't. You know, just like. And then it sounds so like you know so, processed. Yeah. Almost yeah. too perfect. Yeah. 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 It's literally. If you hit in the electric in the middle, it's going to give you one sound, but from. Look, you hit it on the outside, and it's not giving you that same sound. And, yeah. You know that you want. Yeah. That's kind of what. But, I I personally own a, a outlaw snare drum, so, but but <laughs> I've yet heart pine one. Yeah. Yes, I yes. use the crap out of it too. Ben, ben plays a lot, but I have yet to let any of the drummers play on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I set it up in our uh, in the woodshed, and I actually been learning how to play drums lately. You know, so I I've learned couple beats but you know i got a lot of progression to do still so sweet man i tell you though when you learn the sound learn how things supposed to yeah sound i almost feel like it will kind of govern your playing when you start doing yeah. to become a it, really amazing player because you know yeah. that's why i feel like like studio drummers drummers that are always hearing themselves and getting played back mm-hmm. you know you can just you can start hearing things yeah and you start practicing that time space and right how, how it has to be locked in you know yeah, so like, so since I started playing drums, like I've always picked up the bass and the guitar and stuff and try to play. Not that good at it, but ever since I started playing drums, my rhythm and my timing has gotten a lot better with the other instruments. Just because that's what drums are. They are the rhythm and the timing and the stuff. So yeah. it, it's really good. So, yeah. yeah. So. I'd like to say thank you for having us on your podcast. You yeah, know. man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Excited for y'all to be here. We're going to definitely return the favor, you know. <laughs> yeah. I want to be on y'all show. Yeah. yeah. I was so inspired when I heard y'all start a podcast show. Exactly. How can people find it? Um, well, it's Intoxicated Logic Talks. In- intoxicated Logic yeah. Talks. So, intoxicated, so do you have to have a beer when you show up? Or uh, you have to be intoxicated logic, to do intoxicated to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we... That's we, one we, of the rules. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, we're, um, I'm a liquor drinker. I, I'm, a, I'm more liquor, but if the other person likes beer, they can have beer, beer too. Beer's but, fine. Beer's fine, but uh, preferably yeah. liquor. Which, hey, I'm a definitely a liquor drinker. So, uh, our, our actual second... Second one's come out today, which is, uh, what's the date today? Because Today's Friday. Every Friday at 10 a.m. it'll be out. Yeah. The new episodes come out. Um, it's on YouTube, and it's on Anchor FM. We'll try, okay, try, so. try to get you where you can hook up a link or something to it, you know? Yeah. Yes, uh, absolutely. I definitely uh, want to put that link in this podcast link. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. And yeah. favors and, back and, and forth. Yes. We're going to link you up, and then... Then too, you know, uh, uh, we want to help you promote these awesome drums you build. Man. Oh, thank you, man. And uh, you, you do a wonderful thing. You got such a creative mind. <laughs> I mean, look at this drum. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? 
That looks like a side of a tree, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know how you cut that tree so perfectly and carved it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I appreciate y'all being on here, man. Yeah. One thing. What is the thing that um, that you dislike about a drummer more so? Like one of the things that's like, oh my gosh, please don't do that. Don't do that ever. I'm going to have to say that's a good question. I I mean, I'm going to, you know. I got it. Yeah. I, you want me to tell? I got you. No, because I, <laughs> I'm going to answer the question. You can answer the question the way you want to. All right, go ahead. But I, I don't like to be bullshitted. Uh, you know, that's one thing. I, and to be a crappy person is another thing. I mean, I had we had a drummer in the band one time. He was a great drummer, but he treated everybody around him like crap. I mean, he just was not a happy person, I guess. I, but uh, and then too, also, I just don't like a drummer to be too busy, you know. And if he's behind the kit, I don't want him to be too busy, yeah. you know. Like I said, keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. Simple. Yeah. Simplicity is a great thing, you yeah. know. I mean, if you can do it and pull it off, which there's very few drummers that can, but you know. Yeah, you, but you gotta be really people. They want to be on that next expert expert level. Yeah. Really fast. And yeah. and then too, the I hate wars, somebody. Yeah. I hate a drummer that wants to play the same beat. For every song, you know, yeah. boom, back, boom, back, boom, you know. One that's not very versatile. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if you're just jamming, that's fine, you know, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta learn your craft, you, you know. Yeah. You know, and uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of drummers out there to just, you know, get some basic things down, and that's what they go with, yeah. you know. Because um, the bass player and the drums, they're they're married. Yeah, they're married. Oh, they're, and you can, if, if he wants to go crazy on that kick drum, that kind of it's gonna have to put you in like a an up frantic mood too. Because now you gotta do something on that on that, especially if y'all haven't uh, rehearsed, you know, rehearsed it, it. You're just yeah, trying but, it out, you know. Yeah, but I think a drummer that speeds up and slows down is a horrible, oh, horrible thing. Down, yeah. Like if they can't that yep. song, they you know. They get the count at the beginning of the song, but then by the middle of the song, it's, you know, a little bit slower. And then at the end of the song, back to normal speed, mm -hmm. you know, it, it really messes with him, I tell you, yeah. you know. And then the drummer that overuses cymbals. Yeah. Cymbal use is a very easy overused, like abused. It needs to be something kind of like... Uh, spectacular not something that you hit on every single right every single time yeah yeah it needs, the, to, be, it needs to hold a difference mm -hmm. you know when you, when, you, when you want to go that route you can hear that um that emphasis exactly you know symbols are some of the hardest things to even get sounding good through mics they, they just mm -hmm. bleed out everything yeah i mean so as a sound guy and, and as me running sound i've never mic symbols Symbols always come through so good. I mean, of course, I ain't you know never done a, a like professional a, a arena sound, but 
the singer's mics and the backup singer's mics and, you know, all the mics that you might have on stage will pick up those cymbals. Yeah. And, because those yeah. cymbals are loud. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so you really don't have to mic your cymbals too much. And, you know, even in recording purposes, you know, you probably shouldn't record your drums with your cymbals hooked up. Yeah. You know? You yeah, should you should dub sound. your single yeah. your 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 symbols in yep. you know because it'll 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 muddy it'll interfere with everything else yeah. you know um, I mean of course you could go ahead and record your hi hat and stuff like that but yeah the hi hat's so a one the crashes the and the uh, especially the chinas you know the yeah. god the chinas you know yeah but you know the riding a hi hat that's a different story you know yeah Mike Mike your hot ride and you know yeah maybe put something where you can catch the ride a little bit you know. Because those those symbols tend to be a little bit quieter yeah. than the crashes in China. That's and my stuff that's like my that. pet peeve too is the drummer just being too loud. And mm-hmm. I know that's like that's what drummers do. They want to hit stuff and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but hitting stuff too hard, well, that, breaking sticks. I mean, I love breaking sticks too. Now there ain't nothing like getting into a jam session and looking at your sticks afterwards. You're like, yeah, it looks, it, look. it almost broke. I almost because it's something about when you break a drumstick as a drummer, man. It's like it's. A, so, so Brian, so tell me a little bit about, I want to know a little bit about like, um, your history with woodworking and some of the things that you do as far as that can actually help you with, uh, playing music, you know, because there's something about building something, there's something about building something, you know, a physical thing. And then there's something about building a musical thing, how it's just, you can get so satisfied with that kind of stuff. Well, I I started framing framing just building houses when I started off with woodwork. But uh, I learned just about anything there was to do about wood just doing that. And uh, in the last 12 to 14 years, I've been working building custom furniture. So, and everything I learned in my years before that, uh, went into what I knew, you know, what I do with uh, wood now. And so we basically, me and you, we kind of use the same kind of wood. I use heart pine to build, build furniture with and uh, build tables, dressers, you know, beds, you know, just a lot of stuff. Um, so I've actually built guitars before. I mean, nothing too fancy, but... You know. But you have an understanding with the work. Yeah. That's what I love about you because I always would, if I had any kind of questions about woodworking, we'd always kind of do the woodworking thing out there in the shop and trying to, you know, different yeah. ideas, you know, kind of, you, you talk among your buddies, you know, yeah. with, that have common interests, especially woodworking, you kind of, you can kind of talk about, what do you think about this? You think this would work or you think that would work or, you know. Exactly. I mean, uh, I'm totally amazed at what you do. So, and... You know, you show the same interest in what I do, so you know it's 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 a mutual thing. It's just like a musician thing. You know, I'm loving what you're doing. You're loving what I'm doing. Uh, as a musician, it's the same thing. If you got you got friends in the music that 
that get along like that, you know? Yeah. You can make some beautiful music, yeah. you know? I mean, nope. just, uh, you know, musicians that get along as friends make good musicians, make yeah. good good bands, you know? Good yeah. uh, good music together. You good know? vibrations, man. Yeah. That's what it is. It's you know? all vibrations, I feel like, and it's all good. They resonate well together. Some notes sound good better when they're together. You know? Chords. Yeah. Worst thing I hate, worst thing I hate about making friends and doing music is when sometimes when people just are tired of, and they want to get out, they just kill their friendship, you know. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, I have I've played with so many people that all of a sudden I don't talk to you no more because you know. Well, how do you keep a friendship together when a band splits up? What do you do then? It's a hard thing because sometimes they don't want to know. Is and I I feel that uh, feel that way sometimes too. If I've I've quit a band or if I you know left a band, and then I see that I I see this (laughs) band doing really good and I'm not in it no more. I I kind of feel you know there's a little feeling there you get in the pit of your stomach. Wow, I could have been doing that with them, you know. Yeah. But uh, and I I'm because I've always just moved on. So and I'm sure th- that plays part of the friendship thing. You don't want to, you don't want they don't want to see what you're doing. They don't want you rubbing it in, you know, what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And I I understand that, you know, part of it. It's uh it's a funny thing. I I don't want to call it jealousy or anything. It's just that. You know, people. Some some musicians just don't like to see other musicians do well. You know, that is a fact. They're almost kind of like a hater, aren't you know? they? They're almost kind of like a hater. Yeah. It's almost like I'm not gonna be able to get things just going, and you know, I'm just. I don't know. Do you know a lot of people like that? Um, I, I do know a few like that. I've I've known a few few people that quit. A band that I was in, I used to be pretty hard. I, and I've loosened up a lot lately because now I, I will have a drink when I'm playing or something. Before you wouldn't? No, before I wouldn't. Well, you've gotten a lot. I mean, you matured. You can yeah. handle it now. You know, yeah. sometimes people can't. That's, sometimes alcohol, man, they can put a lot of oh, yeah, there's, a there's, lot of energy going yeah. on. And you've got to, if you can't handle it, you can't handle it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh. There's been a few times where people couldn't handle it. Now I've had drummers. I've had drummers that you look back, they're holding down an awesome beat, and you're just grooving along, and you look back there, and they got a beer in each hand. <laughs> and they're just playing away. Like, How are you playing? <laughs> but it's sounding good. <laughs> and I, I'm, and I, I swear I've seen that before. Hey, my, I had a drummer in a band called Dead Ducks, and Mark Barnado, he's he's passed on, but he was a awesome drummer. Double yeah. kick, you know, two big good. He was one of them drummers that he'd bring in a seven-piece drum kit, but he could play every one of them, you mm. know. And he was more about flash, you know, yeah. than anything else, but he could play. Like, yeah, those you things know. are bright yellow, yeah. <laughs> bright yellow, and it didn't. It was better for him to drink a lot, you know, because hmm. then he started having way more fun and just, you know, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes people drink and they get drunk and they can't do nothing. 
Yeah. Facts. You and know, some people, it's almost like they have to drink to want to play drums. At yeah. A show. Like, I knew some people that I had to have a few drinks before they could get loosened up. Right. Yeah. Before they can go with it. I'm getting to where I got to have at least a drink before I can play here lately. So, mm-hmm. I ain't it. It's probably old age. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Helps settle, settle the tremors down. Yeah. yeah, that would always kind of, um, yeah, nerve-wracking playing in front of people. It really was. So tell me, you've been doing a little bit of recording yourself, I hear. Uh, so you hooked me up with a little uh, garage band. I did. <laughs> thing, and I did. I've been, I got a couple couple tracks done already and it's now, only been a week dude, it's so yeah. fun and then you can get in that creative zone so, and you can literally you can create your stuff i got so i got a learning curve to do on it still because uh you know some of the beats are just straight drum beats yeah. and i ain't doing anything fancy and i gotta learn a couple things but you can ask ben here i got i got a couple uh couple cool riffs yeah. kicking huh yeah, yeah. You know what I've been doing here lately? It's been weird. Like, as soon as I wake up in the middle, like, as soon as I wake up, I'll go, and I'll, like, the first thing I'll do, like, as soon as I wake up, I'll go sit on the computer and listen to, um, and hear a track, or, or come up with a beat, or a, a rhythm, to see what I come up with. Just yeah. trying to do, you know, just five seconds of something yeah. that I can do, and then I'll come back to it. And I'm going to tell you, that creativity, like, as soon as you wake up, because you're not all there yet. Your consciousness is kind of... It's still kind of wake up, but it can create some very unique stuff too. I, I've been messing around with that because my stuff's kind of starting to sound the same. I'm like, all right, what do I need to do here? I'm kind of. The good thing is, you know, I told Ben we're gonna we're gonna write our own tracks for our, for our uh, podcast, yeah. podcast. You know, right now, so intoxicated, mm-hmm. intoxicated logic talks. Um, we took our name from an old band of mine, Intoxicated Logic. And uh, we got uh, two albums out, Intoxicated Logic does. And uh, that's Mike Burroughs and Bill Goodwin, um, and a couple other people are on the tracks. Um, uh, KT McCain. Uh, anyway, we're using their, their music on our podcast right now. Mm-hmm. And then. They have a lot of good music, so. Yeah, uh, but I want to eventually, you know, have our own. Yeah. You know, hey, y'all can use any of my music. I got. Yeah. Uh, definitely free for you to use. You know, awesome. Yeah, that'd be so great. I got a bunch of little tracks I've been messing like, with. Some of them are good. We're yeah. gonna. We gotta come up with like an opener, but, you know, the opening music and. Stuff. I want to show you a little thing on this right here. I've been messing. I'm telling you, Matt. The more you do this, it's gonna get easier and easier, and you're gonna be able to start focusing more on the creative instead yeah. of how to use it. And then you're really gonna start adding. Yeah. That. Exactly. It's that copy and paste. Like, get these little bars down, copy those bars, paste them on that little bar, and just kind of knowing how to read that diagram right there. Yeah. And knowing where to put those points at on that other beat, man. Yeah. It's just getting yeah. it get, getting it sound good. Um, but, yeah. So, original music contest. We're holding an original music contest. Did you know about that? I, I, I think I've read something about it, and I don't have any original music, but I, I do now. Some, I, what, what about I do Matt? Now. Dude, you with a bunch of bands that play. Oh, Matt, that's original. You, so, Down to you the think river. we could... Uh, yeah. Uh, Down to the absolutely. River is an amazing Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to, over our, our Patreons, we're gonna, we are got some, a group of people, we're going we're gonna to judge it. All the original stuff has to be your song, and their winner of, of that, we're going to narrow it down. To like five contestants and then we're gonna randomly select them okay you know and 
So, yeah, I think it would be really cool. What's well, going to be the grand prize? A snare drum. That one with the bottle caps on it. Oh, snap. Oh, okay. Yeah. You remember, uh, oh, I seen you remember that. Amy Lane? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She she put the bottle caps on it for me. She did all the pretty okay. stuff. Like I made the shell, and she did all that. Yeah, yeah. And she's yeah. made a guitar, and so we're gonna start really trying to push them suckers. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I know Amy. Yeah. So, okay. Super yeah, cool. yeah, I've seen that drum. It looks cool as anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did all that, man. Putting all that stuff on there, and I did the shell, and then she came and tied all that in. She bedazzled, bedazzled it. Bedazzled it. <laughs> um, so, I got another question. So, being that you play with a lot of um, different types of... We're talking about drummers and stuff like that. So, what about like the guitar player and stuff? Is it like nerve-wracking when you're trying to learn... When you're going into like a, a bass... Uh, like you're fixing to audition for a band, right? Do you kind of try to sync up with the drummer first? Or do you try to sync up with the guitar player? Like when you're going, you're like, because you got to have an alliance. Do you go to that drummer or do you go to that, um, to, uh, to the guitar player? I, if you just met them, you really ain't got nobody. You're going in blind. If you just met them, you're just going to go in there and do your thing. You know, uh, you'll know right away if the drummer's good. Because if that kick drum is solid, to me, a good solid kick drum is is gold. Yeah. Because then, then I know exactly where my, my Let your count beat, right there. And, and that, exactly what my beat's going to be. Uh, it really doesn't matter with guitar players unless the drummer is not doing the fills for the changes. And then you got to listen to more of the guitar. You know, sometimes drummers just don't, do every little change, you know, because there's, you know, as a drummer, you know, there's a beat and then there's a, you know, to change, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a little finesse. But if you can get a drummer, you can get them endings right, like you get the endings of a song, a lot of times you can kind of, you know how drummers, they'll they'll go to start on, on, on an ending, you know, you know, Oh, yeah. Where they can get that kind of, oh, then yeah. they can end almost any song. But yeah. Yeah. sometimes, even I kind of struggle with that little last little spot. Sometimes I put it in the wrong spot and mm-hmm. not being able to end, you know, because there's always going to be a first time that you jam. I don't like care drummers that actually time. end the song. I've played with drummers that want to play 15 minutes on one song, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> take a breath. <laughs> what do you do when this you're trying time. to when you're trying to we're trying to tidy it up? Like, all right, come on. Because <laughs> you don't want to, you know, tell. Sometimes her. I'll 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 start slowing down, you know, and then that's a good sign that you know, okay, you know, and I'm not talking about slow down gradually. I mean quickly slow down. Yeah. You know, and then then. That usually, a good drummer is like, oh, okay, let's end the song. Yeah. You know, so, um, or start getting quieter, Hmm. you know. Well, who's your favorite drummer? My favorite drummer? Yeah. What's your favorite, who's your favorite drummer? It's Uh, nice to see a bass player's favorite drummer, because it ain't, not time it ain't biased with different types and brands and all that stuff. It's more associated with Right now, my favorite drummer is so true. 
Yeah. <laughs> he sucks at drumming, but he, he's, he's my favorite drummer. <laughs> oh, that's And then coming in, so you can totally have a, a, a yeah. <laughs> I'm on number two. <laughs> so you totally can have a sucky drummer and be your favorite, be the yeah. best one to play with, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I love my son so much. That, you know. <laughs> Whatever he does is gonna sound. Yeah, good. it does matter. It's gonna resonate with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all are connected. Yeah. Uh, now I'm gonna I go home and annoy really the really cat out from the drums. Uh, yeah. I I got so many drummers that I love. So I mean. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say a favorite. Yeah. I don't have a favorite band. I don't have a favorite guitar player. I don't have a favorite drummer. Yeah. I just like them. To, I like good drummers. I like good guitar players, good singers, you know. <laughs> they're all wonderful to me. Yeah. You know, a group of musicians making beautiful music, man. You can't beat it. No. You can't beat it. Yeah. You know, that's that's one thing is everybody get together, especially when they can be on that same mind. I believe you can get it with a group of people, and they on that right now you can have a song each time y'all get together, something come up. Because yeah. just, you just can't hold back musicians. The creativity and the music, it just wants to flow. It just wants to flow. It's going to come out. And a lot of times that flow, and it's just like a part of that emotion that is stamped in time. And it's weird, even like when you start writing music, you know, how you could really get lost in a song to the point where you're creating that, that voice, that emotion that you was, uh, that, that you was feeling inside. It's out there now, you know. Yeah. And it's crazy. When you're sad, you pick up the guitar. How you? What are you playing now? You know. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. It's, it's it's crazy how it, I guess, pun no pun intended, but resonates. You know, I love that word. Resonates. resonates. Just things, just they have to. Everything is vibrations in here. Yeah. The whole universe. Yeah. That's a favorite word for a famous drum builder. Resonate. Yeah. That drum resonates, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> I love it when somebody says, "Oh, it resonates." I'm like, yeah, it does. That's a compliment. Cause something that don't resonate, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's dead. Oh yeah, it's yeah. dead. It has nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Well, hey guys, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. That's I mean, really, it's my pleasure to y'all yeah. come and man. Uh, we appreciate you having us, bud. This is this has been great. Um, <laughs> y'all are they are um, truly artists, y'all musicians, man. I just love it. I love hanging out with y'all, man. Definitely um, adding y'all's notes to the world. Yeah, man. and uh, we definitely look forward to you being on our podcast, so we can you know, yeah. get the word out there even more than yeah. it already is. Bring a six pack. Yep. Bring a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your six pack? You gotta have that to come in. <laughs> All, All right. right. Love you guys. Love you. <laughs>